Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer. This is a bonus episode brought to you by our investigative platform Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly, and this week we publish the findings of an extensive cross-border investigation which examined island depopulation. Our reporter Niall Sargent was joined for this project by journalists Jamie Mann in Scotland and Giacomo Zandonini in Italy. For our part in Ireland over the past three months, Niall looked into the key problems facing islanders off the west and south coast of Ireland. And this investigation was supported by a grant from journalismfund.eu, which connects journalists in order to promote democracy on the European continent. Now, I'm joined today by Niall and also John Walsh, a man of many hats, as coordinator of the Bear Island Projects Group, board member of the Islands Federation and current chair of the European Small Islands Federation. Thanks both of you for coming on to the podcast. Now, this series examined several key issues facing our islands, including lack of specific policy supports, as well as housing and other issues. Before we delve into those findings, Niall, let's talk about the islands off the coast of Ireland and what they might actually have in common with each other. Yes, Susan. So the islands, I think they'll all tell you they're each, you know, an individual island in themselves, but there's definitely common themes running across them in terms of those that would be populated, obviously, the majority of them will lie off our western coast. You're talking all the way up from Donegal, all the way down to West Cork. Now, we have lots of the islands, but there's around 30 of them that have, you know, population levels um, all year round. Now, that varies from a handful of people up to hundreds of people on some islands. Obviously, the you know, Aran Islands off Galway would be a very prominent one. Uh, I'm not going to mention the uh, quote-unquote islands that have a land bridge connected while we have John from uh, Bear Island on the line. So those, there's a bit of a varying degree there how people include them. But generally, they are the islands with a population that don't have a land connection that you need to use boat to get to. And traditionally, they'd be highly dependent on fishing and increasingly uh, on tourism these days. And there's common themes in terms of the positive elements, but as I suppose we'll get into, there's also issues there in terms of the problems they're now facing into. And what we'll call the mainland of Ireland is, of course, itself an island. But living on one of those smaller islands off the coast is obviously a totally different experience. Tell me about the unique nature of island life, Nile. So, yeah, I think I can speak to a little bit of what the island life is there from a few days of experience, but I don't want to. This is only from feedback I'm getting from people and from a little experience going there. But even in a few days of visiting the islands, because they're quite isolated from the mainland, you can really see that there's a there's a level, they're very adept at self-resilience and they're self-reliant. They have a very strong sense of community and community identity. You're talking, as I said, a handful of people to a couple of hundred. They're basically small villages together on one island and there's a real strong sense of coming together and building community. They're also an integral part of the fabric of Irish life in terms of our heritage, our culture, and also the language. Most of the islands... Uh, Irish is a very, very strong part of the fabric of those communities. They're also great places to act as natural laboratories or test beds because essentially they're representing Irish society in miniature. So there's been great examples of test beds for, say, energy and other things, including trialling community radio on the West Cork Islands. So they're a great place where we can look to first to see how things can work within the wider Irish system as well. But overall, 
the biggest thing I got was the real sense of community and identity that the islands have that maybe we don't necessarily always have in every town and village across the mainland of Ireland. And a complex identity as well, a real rich tapestry there. And islands clearly have an important role to play for the wider Irish society and culture. And as Niall says, he was there for a few days, but we have a real life islander here with us. So we should ask you, John, what it is about life on Bear Island that makes it such a special place for you? Um, I think like my own story was my mother was from Bear Island and we were living in the city, but we'd come to Bear Island every summer. Um, and as I got older than I was come Christmas time, Easter time, um, and I'd stayed a whole two or three months of the summer when I was in school. Um, and then I moved here in 1986. So I came here and like because I was holding here in the summer, a lot of my friends were from here. So it was easy for me to integrate into the community. And then as my mother was from here, I was part Islander, as you could say. So, um, you know, I was here since 86. I was doing a bit of farming. I was working. Um, I was at Mussels. I was at um, working on a salmon farm. I was doing a bit of stuff on the ferries. So I really got involved in island life and then I became a volunteer then with Bear Island Project Group. So I was always kind of involved in island politics, as you could say. Um, so like what I find with Bear Island, it's a great community. We're lucky that we're close to the mainland, so we're rarely ever cut off. Like, so I can actually leave the island in my boat tonight and go out and get a Chinese and come in and it'll be still warm. There's not many islands you can do that. Um, and like the, the community spirit, like I got married here, I have three kids. The, the school system here was brilliant. The childcare system here was brilliant. We don't have it anymore now, unfortunately, but my kids got a great um, experience growing up on an island. And I think as Niall was saying there about the resilience of island people, like you're on an island, um, say the ferry stops at half six, so you're on the island, if something breaks down, you've got to fix it. You can't call in a mechanic, you can't call an electrician. So a lot of islands, islanders would have a lot of skills. Um, they can, you know, they kind of, they can do a bit of everything and, and even when they go away to college, like they're straight away, they're people that can problem solve. They're very innovative. They're able to plan. Um, and that comes from growing up on an island. So, um, and I think the sense of community is nice there as well. We're, we're like small little villages. So um, we're, we're really like, I suppose, big families. So there's, there's days that um, we're all there for each other. We all help each other out. Um, as I said, a great place to raise a family. Um, but the issue that clearly is coming out now from the research that we've done with the West Cork Islands is um, housing. You paint a lovely picture of island life there, John, the community, the skills of the islanders who've had to show resilience throughout the years. But even with that resilience, as you and other islanders have taught Nile as part of this project, there are strong fears that life on the islands may come to a halt sooner rather than later. Those depopulation concerns, Nile, are they borne out by the numbers? Unfortunately, Susan, they seem to be, uh, for many islands at least. So let's go back in the time machine back to 1841 and you're looking at 35,000 people almost living on the islands. Zoom forward to 2016 and the census data shows we have just over 2,700 people on the islands. Now, obviously, that's a long period of time. You can't expect the same populations may be living there now, but you know, we're still seeing this creeping through because those 2016 numbers were a fall of 7% from the 2011 numbers. And that's been increasing over time in terms of the deficit we're seeing. So the populations are generally going down. And on top of that, you're also having an older than average population than the mainland. And as you're increasing the age profile, you're obviously having more people are leaving 
and they're not coming back. And this represents a challenge in the long-term viability to the islands as places to live, unfortunately. So what happens now if population levels continue to go down like this? So that's the other unfortunate thing because you're talking about these sort of reinforcing feedback loops. So where the funding essentially is going down or decreasing in line with the decreasing population. So you're talking, of course, the government or authorities are going to be looking at a cost benefit analysis. So you have to determine how many people are on the islands and how much support they should get. But then when you have the decreasing population, then less funding, lower investment then also leads to further outward migration. So essentially, you know, when you see investments in, say, childcare or education, like John was talking about, healthcare or transport going down, then younger people who move away are less inclined to move back, as are new families if the resources aren't there for them to live on the islands. And this is really what people, the feedback I'm getting from the islands is that they're really feeling this loss of loss of resources or funding as their populations are going down. That is this yeah, reinforcement loop then of the issues and the fears that they have. John, Niall gave some stark statistics there for island populations. And in the course of your lifetime on Bear Island since the 1980s, how have you seen that impact your lives and Bear Island as a whole? I suppose um, the first thing, as I mentioned earlier, childcare we had a great childcare facility on Bear Island, but unfortunately the numbers dropped maybe 10 years ago. Um, so that caused the, the childcare centre to close down and it turned out then, not the following 10 years, the kids are back up again now. We have a load of kids again and there's no childcare for the kids. So that's one thing straight away where there's no kind of long-term planning for islands. There's nobody taking a, a proper look and saying, how do we keep these going? Because I had um, people from Whitty Island telling me they had a population of 50 people the school closed in Witty, and next thing the, the population skyrocketed down. And then nobody wants to go to an island. Then if you have young kids, you're not going to move to an island that doesn't have a school. So we have cases in, say, Arnmore and Donegal, where they have a secondary school, and there's actually people coming in from the mainland to attend that school. So like, if there's proper um, resources and proper planning, you can turn things into positives. Um, and like guaranteed if we had a childcare centre here again in the island, it would attract more young families to move in. And that's what we need. And the other thing that comes out as well is sheltered housing for the elderly. Like a lot of times as the population is getting older, um, when, when people can no longer live independently in their own house, next thing they're moved to the mainland. And we had one quote in the research where somebody said they'd prefer to drop dead in their tracks than have to move off the island to finish their days in a home or something. So that just shows, again, there's no proper planning for end of life or for, you know, sheltered housing for the elderly. When people can live independently, they can come into a community within their own community and get the services of the of the nurse and the service of home help and all the other health services they need at the time in their life. So that needs to be looked at as well. And they're the things that I find over the last number of years when, when populations are falling, it's easy for the government to say, um, stop funding that or pull the money on this or whatever, you know, so... They're the kind of main things I see happening. That's very specific, John, and very sort of you could make a plan for that, surely, particularly if they want people to live on the islands. You can't live on the islands unless you have a basic living condition, such as the elderly having sheltered accommodation, having childcare for families that you want to move there. Nile, you visited Bear Island, of course, but what John is talking about there, did you see that replicated, those concerns across other islands on the West Coast as well? 
Yeah, I, I certainly did. So I also travelled to Aranmore up in Donegal and Clare Island off of Mayo, but also you know, spoke online and on the phone with, with people from various different islands. And, you know, nearly unprompted, I, you know, we're trying not to push them a direction to say, oh, isn't depopulation an issue? Because, I, you know, obviously as a journalist, you want to hear what people say, but themselves and really unprompted, you know, when I asked the first thing, Okay, what are the main issues facing you on the islands? Depopulation or population decline nearly always came up first with many people. So there is a real, real fear there. I mean, it really struck me what one islander said, that the possibility of the lights going out in an island is a shadow that stops us all the time. And that's really especially coming from, let's say, older generations on the islands I spoke to have a real, they have a real fear that their children might not be able to come back and live on the islands if they wanted to, essentially coming back to their homeland, let's say. And there's a real sense of fear of a loss of the culture, particularly around, say, the Irish language or the general way of island life. Um, And coupled with that, there's not just a fear, there's a real sense of deep frustration. And I know John has expressed some of it there, that the concerns are really not being met by the local and national authorities. And, And that was really... Uh, felt from everyone I spoke with. And there's a series of these articles on Noteworthy.ie and the journal pinpointing some of these key issues, Niall, that islanders told you have to be resolved in order to increase population levels. John touched on some of them there. What stood out as the heart of the problem across all the communities that you spoke to? Yeah, so so alongside those depopulation fears, there's obviously a lot of solutions that islanders are proposing. And the real the real feedback, the real thing that came back was Despite having these solutions, despite knowing what can work, they feel there's a lack of coordinated or joined up thinking from local national authorities and also a budget that is really realistic to maintain the future life. So if you look back, say, to the mid 90s or a bit earlier, the state did draw up really, really specific plans for the islands with lots of big infrastructure works. You had peer infrastructure that went in in subsidies for the boats, for islanders to get across. Lots of very positive initiatives, a good bit of funding went into it. But you're talking about nearly 25 years now where islanders are waiting for this updated living document policy that's supposed to reflect, that is supposed to reflect the specific and unique needs and the realities of island life, such as the likes of higher building costs. It's like one third higher to uh, in costs to build on an island because of all the equipment you have to get out. There's healthcare needs that have to be met. There's issues around cargo services and peer infrastructure now, et cetera, et cetera. So this new policy was supposed to come in 2020, but we're still waiting now into the new year for it to come about. Um, and that's really been felt in the islanders that they feel they're sort of a footnote on all other policy documents. You might see a paragraph here or a paragraph there saying we will look after the islands, but they really don't feel there's this reflection on what they need. I'll just give you one good example, which is leader funding, which is funding that comes down from Europe, administered by local authorities here for local projects. It could be building a community centre, it could be a playground, it could be public toilets. And the funding is helpful, definitely for the islands in that regard. And they, some of these, some of this funding can be vital for the islanders. Up until recently, the islands essentially had their own funding pot through leader. But this was changed in the last round for, so say, for the last seven years, where actually they're now competing, say, against mainland towns or villages for this funding. 
and they really don't think this is fair islanders in terms of the differentiation in the costs that they have to go through and all of their logistical reasons for the island that they have to compete against the mainland. It's just one example where vital funding was more easily accessible and now they feel that their needs or their wants are being listened to and they're competing against mainland for the same funding pots. So it just really comes back to this level of frustration that there isn't this joined up coordinated thinking to reflect the specific needs of island life. So sort of lumped in with everybody else, even though they clearly have specific needs that should be catered for, um, it's become actually less less specific and tailored, the solutions. John, is it a fair reflection then to say that Islanders, you're the biggest stakeholders in your own future, but perhaps not being listened to or having your concerns at all um, considered by the powers that be? Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um like, say, down in, in West Cork, we were lucky to have the West Cork Islands in trade and see where all the agencies came together that we work in West Cork and we developed um, a strategy. And that seemed to work for a number of years. Lately now, I suppose, the 10 years have passed of that strategy and a review needs to be done, so we're looking for that. And I think that's the the way forward for Islanders. You have to, um, you know, sit down with all the different agencies and the different government departments and get your speaking, as it were. Because it is very hard, like our job is is a constant fight and a constant battle, you know, to get things done. Like basic works on roads and even, you know, potholes and roads, even stuff like that is, is hard to get done at times. And like Niall gave a good example there of leader. Um, I was involved with leader through Cogallilan Heron and through Cornillan, um, maybe three different programmes. Um, it was managed by the Islanders themselves. We had an office in Inishir. Um It all worked well, a lot of investment done, very good investment done in the islands. And just to give you an example, in the last round of leader, the the islands like Cornillon still was the implementing partner for the West Cork Islands, for the Mayo Islands and for the Donegal Islands. And they all done fairly OK. But the likes of the Arran Islands, um, I think it was 200,000 between all the Arran Islands, which is the highest populated group of islands. They only ended up with 200,000 because they were managed by a mainland organisation who just didn't know the needs and wants of the islanders. Like there was a policy done in 1996 and they always said Islanders' voices should always be heard when you're discussing islands or making policy for islands. So like that was good to hear at the time, but you can just see over the years that gets evaporated away. And next thing we hear, there's policies being done for islands and we've never been consulted. And it turns out that they, none of them don't work like they don't work unless they listen to the islands' voices. Um, they don't get it right and they still don't seem to learn that, which is which is very frustrating for us, like when you're constantly trying to get um, the message out there and you always have to constantly keep knocking on the door and as they say the oily wheel or the noisy wheel gets the the oil Um, sometimes you just hate always being fighting and arguing but you just have to and that's the only way if we that's what somebody said before if we stop fighting and stop knocking on the doors islands will be gone and maybe that's what they want at the end of the day I don't know Absolutely John it actually reflects an an quote that did stand out for me in another one of Niall's articles where he said uh, an Islander had told him it's the squeaky wheel that gets oiled in Ireland with Islanders having to constantly shout and protest to get their voices heard and you've just articulated that for us perfectly. And that wider concern, Niall, over specific island policies, the islands are also being hit by some of the core issues that face all the nation, not least in terms of housing, which I guess if you live on the mainland, like John said, we don't really have a clue where the problems are on, on the islands. And I myself might not have thought housing was an issue on islands that are being depopulated. But you've looked at that really in depth, Nile, And what did you find is affecting islands specifically around the housing crisis right now? 
Yes, yeah, Susan, there's, there really is that big sense that housing is the is sort of the, the issue at issue of the time, obviously not for for the country, but obviously for the islands as well. And every island, you know, it has, they have unique problems. There might be lack of nurses on one island or damaged peer infrastructure on another. But everyone that I spoke to for this project had housing on their lips as the biggest crisis that's hitting nearly all of the islands. So it's the number one problem. And it's an EU-wide problem as well, which I know, you know, John will be involved in research there that shows um, that it's hitting everyone. But we seem to have a real specific problem here because it hits every facet of attempt to get populations back up. So islands are doing fantastic things to attract people. You're talking about getting high-speed connections, digital hubs uh, on certain islands. Aaron Moore has a fantastic new digital hub, which has amazing speeds. It's actually pinging back to the mainland to give people high-speed connections there. Um, but again, the issue is if you're attracting people back with these great resources, people are telling me there, the community organisers, that they actually can't get the housing to attract people in, um, which is becoming obviously a big issue there. Um, there are specific unique problems then to the islands that we might necessarily see here on the mainland. There's planning restrictions for everyone, but there seems to be particular ones hitting the islands as well, local needs being one. You're talking about environmental assessments. So most of the islands are in or close to protected areas. So you're having people getting hit with the need for environmental studies and assessments, which are very costly. And, you know, in some areas you could argue, but I spoke with some people who are on the complete opposite end of the island, you know, building a small house, but they still have to do the assessments. And you're also talking the unique higher costs that I talked about earlier. It's at least around a third more expensive to build on the islands because of the costs to get the equipment over, extra VAT charges, etc., that locals really don't feel has been appreciated by the states. And if you combine with issues around derelict housing and holiday homes uh, that aren't always available all year round. There's really strong issues with housing on the islands that is playing into the depopulation issues. And John, I'm going to come to you very shortly on this. Um, but Niall, on John's home of Bear Island, you saw this in real life. So can you give me a few examples of what you saw that kind of, I suppose, illustrated some of the points you've made there? Yeah, that's, yeah, obviously that's the outline, but then you're talking to people who are living these problems. So there's one family who've come back to the island with two small kids. Uh, the husband is from the, from the island. He wants to return. He said there's always a calling in his heart to return, um, but they can't build on their family land for some of those issues that I just talked about. They're lucky to have some level of accommodation because another islander is kind to support them but it's not stable and they don't know how long they'll stay there. Another family, uh, again, the husband's family uh, have some have a home there traditionally. They're moving back uh, with the family now with small kids. But again, they can't get housing and they're lucky to be able to stay in an older family home. And for both of those families, it's really the last chance saloon, they told me. Um, so that's a real, real issue there. And there's also a really important um, dry dock there on the island that employs around 20 people, vital for the island, vital for West Cork. The owner there told me he really is struggling. He can't get any accommodation for staff, which really limits opportunities to expand, which is vital for the island. Um, so it's not just Bear Island. It's 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 the West Cork Islands in general. It's it's across it's across the whole island infrastructure. There's a real risk of a loss of of entire communities there. And John, you were heavily involved with the study that has many recommendations that islanders, crucially islanders, 
believe and know can resolve this situation. Will you tell us what the key ones are, please? Um, like what I we were always calling for, like in a county development plan for all the, the towns in Ireland, they always get a population target. And we were looking for that for the islands because we felt if there was a target, if the county development plan said that just, for example, Bear Island um, could take 30 more residents, you'd feel that there was... Um, different policies then would be put into the county development plan to make sure it happened or into the local area plan to make it happen but the council seemed reluctant to do it and they were kind of saying to us all could be seen as a as a limit as well but like any target population for us at the moment we take it like the cases there that um, Niall outlined with the people that moved back to Bear Island like it's just appalling that we're, we're so lucky to get um, young people and families to move back and then they get hammered with, with, you know, development charges and engineering charges and they're still not able to, to build uh, and then get hit then by the, the high increase in, in the cost of building after COVID. So it just makes you frustrated. And then you have the likes of, of George Sullivan in the boatyard and there's huge opportunities out there for islands at the moment. We're actually the first time probably in our lives that we're living in a place that there will be huge opportunities economically with the development of the offshore wind industry. And Bantry Bay, we're in the right spot here. So like Bear Island and, and Weedy and Durs are all in Bantry Bay. So there is a great opportunity for islanders there to have the skills of, of going to sea and being able to manage boats and, and all that goes with that. And Jordan is, is being limited again due to housing. So like definitely population targets. Um, we definitely are looking for an audit. It came up strongly in the report. There has to be an audit done of all the housing because... We have lovely houses on Bear Island and then we have houses that aren't so good, like energy-wise. A lot of what needs to be done to some houses, um, you know, they're all old. Like we have some houses on Bear Island could be 400 years old, you know. So like an order needs to be done on all the housing. Um, we need to develop social and also affordable housing. It's not always uh, social housing that is needed. Sometimes there's people that they make too much to be on the social housing list and they don't make enough to get a mortgage. They're caught in the middle. So there has to be affordable housing result for people like that. And again renters and and i'm not sure is it so much in bear island but the report showed up that a lot of people and um, they'd rent a house during the winter and then in the summer when um the houses are rented out to, to holidaymakers they have to move out so again that's detrimental like nobody can raise a family not knowing is there going to be a, a roof over their head in six months time so um, and again appointment of a vacant home officer we have a lot of um, derelict houses on the islands and um, so that needs to be looked at and i know there's a um, an empty homes officer, a vacant homes officer in each county, but there needs to be more island specific. Maybe have one for the country as it were. So there has to be island specific measures. And there's no point, like we always get this thing from the different authorities saying, oh yeah, we have that on the mainland. But if it's not kind of made island specific at the start, it just doesn't work. And again, looking at um, different grant age, I'll give you an example now of in the past, if you want to put on the old type tubular solar panels and you went to SEI, if you were living on an island, there was a 50% top up, but because when they brought out the new retrofit scheme, when we met SEI and we met the minister and we asked, was the retrofit scheme the same level for islands because it does cost a lot more money to build? And they said, no, we're after removing it. So again, if it was good for one scheme five years ago and now it's not, it doesn't make any sense. So lots of concrete, sustainable solutions in that report, John, that would future proof the island on a number of levels, um, economically, socially, uh, energy wise, which is very important these days. But Niall, of course, reports are all well and good. And we know from many of our investigations 
that really well researched recommendations are not often implemented for years, if at all. Please tell me there's some progress happening on the ground here because the value proposition of the islands to Ireland as a whole is so obvious. So it's been slow. Uh, as we've often seen in our investigations and our work, bringing in recommendations, making change can be slow. And John clearly, I think, outlined the issues that that has on the islands over the years. But there are signs now of increasing supports for the islands. I mean, the living document policy specific for the islands is coming on is coming out now very shortly. There is a budget that's increasing. Now, it's nowhere near the previous levels, but it's going in the right direction. Most of the islands who spoke to me, islanders who spoke to me, said that there's a minister now uh, with a specific uh, responsibility for islands who is the most responsive since the period when Eamon O'Queeves uh, was in charge. Who was very, very responsive, would pick up the phone to talk to the islanders. They feel with Heather Humphreys now that there is a turning tide there in terms of of, of interaction and real support. And there's one example. There's a new local initiative funding stream from the government that is specific to the needs of offshore islands to make them more place attractive places to live and visit um, and that'll be a funding stream specific for the islands for building that sort of local infrastructure needs. So that's really important and it's a sign that maybe the tide is turning uh, in the responsiveness of authorities to the needs of the islands. And that's something that John outlined earlier around the, the funding streams being sort of not island specific along with other things. And speaking of John and how he's advocated along with his colleagues for the islands, there is a sense that um, they're really being fought for and that voices are starting to be heard now. Would that be the case? Yeah, I really think that's true. I mean, there's a there's a committee in the Oireachtas now who's looking at, uh, or as part of its remit, looking at island life. And there's a lot of politicians in there who are really, really fighting for the islanders and the voices are starting to be heard more now. But ultimately, it's the islanders themselves who are doing the fighting. They have had to shout for years and they are able to do this because there's that real community spirit. And that comes through from the research and talking to people that that's getting stronger and stronger as these depopulation fears are starting to grow. So I really feel from talking to the communities that they are the ones that are going to be steering themselves out of the storm. And I think it's really important to note, like the key response from the islanders is that they're not looking for a crutch, they're not looking for a handout, they're looking for a platform because they have the answers. And if they get it, they're not just going to survive, but they are going to thrive into the future. I think it's appropriate we get the last word from John then. John, you're obviously someone who's been speaking about this for years. Do you feel it's starting to have an impact? Are you confident for the future of the islands? Yeah, like... I'd always be confident for the the future of islands. I always was, and I and I just believe you have to, you know, keep the keep the fight going. But you know, as Niall said there, the committee in the Dáil, um, the committee of social protection, community and rural development, and islands. Once it has the name of the islands on it, it's great, and I think um, they are doing good work there. The Dennis Nocton as the chair, and Eamon O'Keefe is part of it as well. Um, they seem to be doing good work, and they're always looking for the input of the islanders, which is always good to hear. Um, they actually visited Bear Island this summer now and, and we had a very good meeting with a very positive meeting. Um, but I, I do think that the future is positive. Like when you see people coming back, it gives everybody a lift. It's like if somebody says in the morning they're leaving Bear Island, people will be down for days over because it's really like that you'd, you'd feel you're being left behind or you're being abandoned. Like So it's great. We love to have more people moving in. The more we'd like, there was 2,000 people lived here, you know, back in 1898. There's only about 180 people living here now, so there's plenty of room in Bear Island if we can get the housing situation right. 
and I think the you know the offshore wind and the likes of the dry dock and the likes of um, different companies on Baron that that work in the marine sector that are doing very well. They're competing in Europe, so the the future is bright. And as I said, the education system they get on islands is second to none, and we really do send out our young people, and they're well educated, um, well able to to work, well able to plan, um, and and I think there's a very bright future when you can do that with with the young people. So I am very confident for the future. Thanks, John. You paint such a lovely picture of Bear Island. I think we're all hoping that the various issues will get sorted because I think I want to move there now. And Niall, thank you so much for your travels around the country and off the coast to investigate this for Noteworthy and the journal. Islands represent a unique element of Irish identity and society, but they do require investment and consultation with the islanders to secure their future and ensure their continued contribution to Ireland. You have been listening to this bonus episode of The Explainer, brought to you by Noteworthy.ie. It was produced by Laura Byrne. If you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, head to our site at Noteworthy.ie and sign up to our newsletter, which gives an insider look at our latest investigations. You can visit us at noteworthy.ie forward slash newsletter and sign up in the box there. Thanks for having us and see you next time.